Well, good evening. Everybody's so used to saying good morning, but, but it's the evening. Uh, so good evening. My name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much, really. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is a big deal here in the valley. I'm sure those of you who live here, which is probably the majority of you, know that. And so I'm well aware that uh, many, if not all of you, uh, not only said yes to coming here and hanging out with us and, and worshiping alongside of us, but at the same time, that also means that you might have said no to some other things or other things are pending for you as, uh, as we finish our time this evening. Maybe there's a party going on, families waiting for you, there's something on the grill, it's probably burnt by now, but nevertheless, everybody is kind of waiting for, man, the, the, the rest of our time together as Valley Natives for the Christmas Eve uh, celebration, because everybody knows that Christmas is celebrated on the 24th. Uh, with that being said, I want to dive into uh, a couple of things. Uh, number one, we're going to find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. We're only going to be looking at one verse this evening, but we're going to unpack a lot within that verse. So go ahead and open your Bibles or load your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have some available for you in the rows that are in front of me and that you're sitting in. Um, additionally, um, please take one or two. Uh, if you know someone who would benefit, or if you don't have a Bible yourself, that is our gift to you. Uh, so go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. While you do that, I'm going to talk a little bit before reading the verse and before praying for our time this evening. And so obviously the, the Christmas season is officially underway. It has been officially underway for the past couple of weeks. I think it started after Thanksgiving. Uh, but nevertheless, the Christmas season has been underway and it's caught a lot of momentum. We find ourselves on Christmas Eve. And actually in just a couple of days, we're going to be seeing the appearance of 2019. And, and, and one of the things, one of the, the, the wise counsels that we receive uh, during this time, during this season, is always to be present, right? Many people fly in or, or drive in from out of town. College students come back home. Families get together. Maybe you're hanging out with your family later tonight, or you've been hanging out with your family and you haven't necessarily seen them, or maybe you haven't talked that much. But nevertheless, there is uh, some conversation going on. Uh, and one of the things that is often talked about is being present in those moments, being present because in a couple of days, we're all going to go back to the way life has been for us over the course of the past, uh, the past year. And so what I, would, what I would encourage you with over the next couple of minutes, uh, no, over the next hour, I'm going to be honest, right? Uh, what I would encourage you with is to be present right now. To be present right now. There, as I mentioned earlier, there may be things that, and people that are waiting for you after we get out of here. You might have plans. You can't wait to text family and friends. I'm going to urge you and encourage you and exhort you uh, to be present right now over the next hour. Maybe less, but let's just be honest. Over the next hour. 
to, to, to be present because one of the things that we, that we could talk about are, are practical matters. And I think many churches would even talk about that on Christmas Eve, that they would talk about maybe hospitality because you have friends and family coming over to your house. This is the season to be hospitable. Uh, or, or maybe they would talk about generosity, that, man, one of the biggest things that we learn about the Christmas season is, is that we should be generous, that we should give uh, good gifts because that is, that is a reflection of, of God the Father, that he gives good gifts and he's gracious and loving and all of that is true. But more than generosity or hospitality or any other practical matters that we could talk about, we're going to talk about someone specific and his name is Jesus. We're not so much going to talk about the birth of a child tonight as much as the coming of a Savior. And so we're going to find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 is ultimately going to lead us to a central and significant question. That why did Jesus come? That's, that's ultimately what we're going to answer that Paul, the Apostle Paul, answers in this verse. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to unpack all that that means for you and me. Why did Jesus come? Now, we could look at this from a variety of angles. We could look at this historically and go on to answer it. We could look at it in terms of him as a good and moral teacher, but we're not going to look at it from a position of morality, and we're not going to look at it from a position of history. We're going to look at it from a position of redemption. And so the question is, why did Jesus come? So I'll read the verse. We're going to, I might read it two more times throughout our time, <clears throat> and, then I'll, and then I'll pray. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, this wonderful occasion to come together and not just hear and sing of your uh, graciousness and your goodness, but to worship you so that we would be challenged, so that we would be compelled, so that we would be convicted to fix our eyes on Jesus God, my prayer this evening is that as you, Holy Spirit, have uh, prepped our hearts in song, that you would now begin to work through conviction and challenge as we listen to your word. I pray that I would be set aside. I pray that we would be present, and Holy Spirit, you would be at work among us. God, we thank you for this opportunity and this occasion. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. So the question once more in the event that you just walked in is why did Jesus come? Paul kind of lays out that reason in verse 15 of 1 Timothy. To save sinners. And so what we're going to seek to do tonight is unpack almost every word from that verse. We're going to get a little nerdy but we're also going to look at the effect that that has on you and me. 
And so the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the beginning of the phrase, the saying is trustworthy. The reason I want you to draw your attention to that section is because Paul says that with great emphasis. In fact, that that type of phrase, the saying is trustworthy, is an adaptation that Paul uses from the words of Christ throughout the Gospels. In the Gospels, one of the things that Jesus says is, truly, truly, I say to you. If you've ever wondered why he says that repetitively, truly, truly, what he is saying is that he needs all of your attention drawn to what he's about to say, not only because of its significance, but because it is reliable and it is true. And in the same way, Paul uses this expression, the saying is trustworthy, in the same way that Christ would say, truly, truly, I say to you. In fact, when we look throughout the New Testament, that phrase, the saying is trustworthy, the Apostle Paul uses it only five times. And he uses it specifically, or he uses it in specific moments, so that his readers would be drawn to what he's about to write or to what he's about to say. In the original language, when you're about to emphasize something, for instance, the word trustworthy, when you're about to emphasize it, you don't put it at the end. In other words, there's not a long sentence kind of building up that what we see in the English language. In the original language, he would have put that at the beginning. In other words, he's saying, I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is reliable. What I'm about to say is true. And as a result, it has great importance. It demands your attention. And what I'm about to say bears weight of significance. And so he says the saying is trustworthy. The second thing in that, in that, in that verse we see that he writes is, and deserving of full acceptance. Because of the importance and the weight of what Paul is about to say, he is saying that you must fully accept and commit yourself by immersing yourself in what is about to be said. It's like he's prepping them before he gives them this like beast of a bomb. And so before he tells them what he's about to say, he makes sure that he pushes them to challenge and draw all of their attention onto the next couple of words, the next 10 words. And that's what I would encourage you to do tonight. And so the following statement, the the following statement that we're going to read and that we're going to see is going to be the condensed version of the gospel. It's going to be a, a specific target, a bullet, if you will, that describes the mission of Jesus and describes the person of Jesus. In fact, the the following statement, those next 10 words, when we look back at the early church, it was almost kind of a creedal statement. It wasn't just this condensed version of the gospel. It was a creedal statement that they held with great conviction and stood upon. It wasn't something that they would say just to uh, be kind of creative on their Instagram page. It wasn't something that they said to be creative and have some sort of a sticker or bumper sticker on their vehicle. It was something that they held to because of their great conviction in Christ. 
Additionally, this uh, next statement, those next 10 words, uh, many, including myself, believe that what Paul is doing is that he is drawing from two places in the gospel to combine these 10 words. Two places that come directly from the words of Christ. And I would draw your attention to those first. The first one is Matthew 9, verses uh, 12 through 13. I don't really wear a vest, but I kind of know why now. Oh my gosh. The first thing is, this is, what, this is what Jesus says. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is what Jesus says. Here's, here's where like the, the, the pinnacle of his statement. He says, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. The second one comes from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And if, and if you didn't know, Christ most often referred to himself as the Son of Man because he loved associating himself with those whom he was around. Letting them know that, man, I have come to dwell and be among you. And we refer to himself as the Son of Man the most. And so when you draw Matthew 9 and Luke 19, we see what Paul does in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now we need to break that down. We need to break that down because Paul is very specific with the words that he uses. He's very intentional with the words that he uses. For instance, the, the first word is Christ. Christ is Jesus' kingly title. It is translated to the Messiah. That is, that Jesus establishes himself as the one whom Scripture speaks about. In Jesus' earthly ministry, after he has been baptized and gone into the wilderness, or I should say compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness, to be tempted, to be victorious throughout temptation in places that Adam and Eve were not victorious in, Jesus is. He comes out of the wilderness, out of temptation, and he goes to the synagogue and he preaches his first sermon. And what he does is he draws for himself what you and I would see now as Isaiah. 61. And in Isaiah 61, verse 1, this is what the prophet says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bring up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus quotes that as his first sermon, and then he goes on to tell those who are present, he goes on and says, this that you just heard, this prophecy has just been fulfilled. This is talking about me. That I am the anointed one. I am the one that has been set aside by God. That I am the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. That I am the one who has been sent by the Father to do His work. 
And so when Paul uses the term Christ, he is being very specific. The next word is Jesus. Jesus is translated to Jehovah saves. And the reason that's important is because what it teaches us is that God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ and was on a rescue mission to save his people. We see that in Matthew 1 where the angel is speaking to Joseph and he tells him, she, that is Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, once again, is translated to Jehovah saves. And he continues. That Christ Jesus, here's the big chunk, came into the world. That, that small phrase has a lot. And it teaches us many things. For instance, the word came teaches us of God's pre-existence. That God didn't just come to be upon the birth of Christ. It actually teaches us that God has always been. That God has always been, and as a result, uh, as a result, it teaches us about his preexistence. It teaches us about God setting aside his deity, descending from heaven, and entering into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, to dwell among his creation. That word came teaches us all of that. Additionally, it, it teaches us about the significance of his mission. And Izzy talked about this earlier tonight. He mentioned it yesterday. It, it talks about the significance of his mission, that God came to us and dwelled among us. Where other religions might say that you need to work in order to stand before God, or you need to work and do X, Y, and Z in order to be claimed by God and even obtain God, what we see in Christianity and what we see in the Scriptures, in the Bible, and the Holy Word of God, is that God came to us. God came to us. That is significant because that tells us that, one, we can't get ourselves out of our own rut, that God had to come into the world, that we did not meet him halfway, that he did not bind up some sort of a contract and that we met him on it and signed on it. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to us, that Jesus came to us. <sighs> And as a result, you and I cannot work or own, or excuse me, earn our salvation. Because left to ourselves, we will continually choose our sin. We will continually choose our sin apart from the grace of God the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again. So God came into the world. It teaches us about why he had to come down. Because you and I can't save ourselves. Because you and I can't save ourselves. The next word is to save. So Christ Jesus came into the world to save. To save means to be delivered. 
to be rescued from great danger, specifically the power and punishment of sin. Now we got to talk about that just for a moment. That he came to rescue us because we were in great danger in light of the power and punishment of sin. Excuse me, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches us that we are not only born into sin, but apart from God, we are actually enslaved to our sin. We are in bondage. Romans 6 says that we are chained up to our sin and that there is punishment as a result. That something needs to happen, and what that something is, is death. That the wages for sin is death. Now, in light of what we've just been walking through, the beauty of Christ isn't, jo- isn't, only, excuse me, isn't only that he came into history and dwelled among us, but that he lived the life that you and I cannot live, that he stepped in for us, died a sinner's death, and now extends and offers the grace that you and I cannot earn. That on the cross, what Jesus did is he stepped in our place and bore our sin. When we look at that word, to save, that little phrase, to save, we need to understand what exactly we have been saved from. It wasn't only that Christ paid for the sins of the ungodly. It wasn't only that. It was the mercy of God took on the wrath of God. If the question then becomes, man, what is it that we've been saved from? We have been saved from the wrath of God. And the only thing that could save us from the wrath of God is the mercy of God. And finally, he says, he's actually kind of specific. He says, he came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. Sinners are those who are lawbreakers, the ungodly, the broken, those whose hearts are hardened, the poor in spirit, those who are empty, the marginalized. He came to seek and save sinners. And so Paul closes, we're going to spend a little bit of time in this last section. Paul closes by saying, of whom I am the foremost. And before we start touching on what he means by that, I actually want to take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. <clears throat> Paul says, and this is several years before he is writing to Timothy, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Several years later, he writes to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he goes on to say, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then we fast forward to 1 Timothy. That Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Depending on your translation, that little phrase might be, I am the chief of sinners. 
Paul went from saying, man, I'm unworthy to be an apostle. Then he said, I am unworthy to even be around Christians. And then here we go in 1 Timothy, he's saying, I am the chief sinner. I am the worst out of all of them. How did he get there? More importantly, why? Why did he get there? Because Paul, Paul's own sin and God's lavish grace came together and humbled him. And humbled him. You see, when Paul writes that he is the chief of sinners, or when he writes, of whom I am the foremost, he is not comparing himself to anyone else. Paul is not saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person, and I haven't done as many bad things as her or him, and my history isn't as bad as some people in that church in Ephesus. And that might be some of you. That might be some of you where you begin to say, well, I'm not as bad as many people think I am. Paul is not comparing himself to anyone but Christ. And that is what humbles him. It humbles him so much that he becomes like the tax collector, which we'll look at in just a minute. It humbles him so much that he becomes like the tax collector that he cannot even lift his eyes up to the Lord. And some of you bank so much on how much you haven't done or how bad you actually aren't or it could have been worse may have been your excuses from time to time if not always and you think you're justified in many of your other decisions that you can come before God and say well at least I'm not like him At least I haven't done these other things. May I remind you that Paul, before he was a Christian, actually persecuted, and by persecuted, he murdered Christians. His job was to go and find where they were, where they worshiped, drag them out of their homes, bring them to trial in chains, and murder them. And Paul can't even look up to the Lord. He sees himself like the tax collector. This is Luke 18, verses 9 through 13. Jesus told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so he goes on to say, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where Paul is at. That's where Paul finds himself. He finds himself as a sinner. Not someone who hasn't done as many things, bad things as Peter. At least I'm not like Peter. I wouldn't have denied Christ three times. I don't know. You insert your thing. I'm pretty good. I go to church on Sunday and I have a really good Bible. You know, I pray before my meals. 
And, uh, you know, if I have time, maybe I'll pray for someone else. I don't know what your thing is. All right. He recognizes himself as the chief of sinners because he is humbled. He is broken by the grace of God. And so when we read Luke 18 and when we kind of come to this close in 1 Timothy, what Paul is saying is that if God can save him, God can save anyone. And it begins, it begins by recognizing that we are sinners, that you're a sinner. And it is only by faith alone through Christ alone, that we can come before God and cry out to Him. Some additional encouraging words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, some of you know Jesus. Some of you have been walking with Him. Praise God. And you need to confess and repent of your sin. You need to confess and repent of your sin because you think you're not all that bad. You need to confess and repent of your sin because it's someone else's fault. You need to confess and repent of your sin because at the end of the day, you're really no different than that Pharisee. At the end of the day, you're just comparing yourself. I'm not as bad as that person. At least I didn't do those things. So I would encourage you as your pastor, as your friend, as your brother to confess and repent so that not only you would recognize, oh my gosh, I am a sinner in need of Christ. Man, but so that you would be reminded that you can cry out to him. Yesterday, we talked about uh, the work of Jesus on the cross gives us access to the Father. And because it gives us access to the Father, we can receive mercy and grace in a time of need. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I would urge you, I would urge you to confess and repent of your sin. The mission of Christ was to save sinners. It wasn't a political agenda. It wasn't a social issue that he came for. It was because we were equally corrupt. And he came to save sinners. Those other things have a place. His primary mission was to remove the separation that man has with God. And in order for that to be accomplished, in order for you to know Jesus, it begins with you recognizing that you're a sinner and that you would confess him as the Lord that you would confess him as the Lord. So I'd close with this. The band could go ahead and come up because I'm going I'm to finish out. The present of Christmas. The present of Christmas is the presence of God. It is the coming of Jesus to save sinners like you and me. Let's pray. God, once again, we thank you for this time, this opportunity 
to, to, to get to worship you, um, and to, to get to preach your word. But God, more, more significantly, most importantly, God, I pray that, that uh, you, Holy Spirit, would be uh, affecting our hearts right now. God, for the, for the one who does know you, that their hearts would be wrecked. That their hearts would be wrecked so that they would fix their eyes upon Jesus to see just how good and gracious you are. That, that the good news of the gospel, that, that Jesus came to save sinners, of whom we are the foremost, that that would never become old news that that would always affect change in our daily lives, that we would look at everything that is in our life through the lens of that statement, of that creed, of the gospel. I pray that we would hold fast to the promises of your word, but that we would also hold fast to the present in light of what you are doing in us right now. Lord, humble us right now. Humble us so that we would be like like Paul, like the tax collector, just recognizing that we are sinners in need of Jesus. That all the, the gatherings and the parties, that that would just be on pause for just a couple more minutes and that we wouldn't waste this time And, and God, for those who, who don't know Jesus and they're here tonight, Holy Spirit, would you, would you affect their hearts right now? Would you pierce their heart? Would you pierce them by, by uh, surfacing the thing that they don't want to talk about? And it's not really a philosophical argument and it's not really uh, other things. It's, it's really just this, this one issue that they don't want to talk about. Holy Spirit, may you pierce that. And bring it to the surface so that they would recognize that they are sinners in need of a gracious and good God and his name is Jesus. That he came specifically for people like them. And as a result, he, he gives them grace. That's, that's unmerited favor in spite of our sin. God, may may this Christmas be more about the coming of a Savior than anything else. And may that be the greatest gift that we hold to or receive this Christmas. God, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.